Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cracking Addiction. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and once again, we have with us the good Dr. Laura Petrocek. Hello, Laura. How are you? I'm good, Fergal. How about yourself? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. So the, the last episode, we were talking about, uh, you know, the behavioral interventions to manage distress. And as usual, we didn't get through the entire tip mnemonic. So last time we talked about, um, you know, temperature and intense exercise really as either a way of suppressing the, the rage, the anger, the distress, or as a way of burning up all of that energy. So now we come to the two P's in the tip mnemonic. And what are they, Laura? So the first P is paced breathing. And this is where um, they found physiologically that the way to calm down the fastest uh, is breathing in three breaths and breathing out five. Somehow mm -hmm. physiologically, that seems to be the, the ticket. <clears throat> so to have your client or yourself, you know, and breathe deeply, belly breathing. A lot of times people don't even realize they're breathing shallow at, from their chest. So kind mm -hmm. of remind them to put their hands on their belly because when we're distressed, we don't even realize it. So to get into pace breathing, hands on belly and breathe in really deep into your mouth. Well, it could be in and out through your mouth. That, that doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. matter as much. Yeah. And do that for at least, you know, probably a two to three minutes. Mm. Um, if you could do it five, great, even better. And you will notice a difference in your uh, parasympathetic nervous system. I've, I've heard and practiced various modifications to that. And I suppose really the, the thing to remember is it doesn't really matter how you do it, but you've got to really effectively focus on your breathing. So yeah, I've heard where, where, where we do square breathing, it's where you, you breathe in for three seconds, you hold for three seconds, you breathe out for three seconds, you hold for three seconds. That's another variation that I've heard. And then also sometimes I actually quite like to bring in um, not only doing the, um, the breathing, but I also like to do a type of breathing technique or a meditation technique where you actually focus on either breathing in through your nose and then breathing out through your mouth during this paced breathing exercise. Or another thing to do is actually to focus and meditate on breathing in through one nostril and then breathing out through the other nostril. Oh, yeah, that's a, a very common yoga practice. Yeah, it is, isn't it? So if you can incorporate breathing in through one nostril and breathing out through the other with breathing in for three seconds, holding for three seconds, breathing out for three seconds, and holding for three seconds, plus putting your hand on your belly and also making sure you're doing the normal belly breathing and with the excursions right. of your hand. And your hand on your head, too. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if you're focusing, I, I suppose really it's just layer and layer of, of complexity on this yeah. technique, and you're focusing on actually managing the complexity, then your mind is shifted from whatever it is that's causing you to stress. And also you're getting that physiological change from the, uh, the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic system. Because uh, another way for me of conceptualizing how you can't occupy the, the, the two spaces at once, you know those pictures of, um, of is it a bird or is it a rabbit? Or oh, is it yeah. a young woman or is it an old yes. woman? Old woman? That's yes. all about cognitive framing. 
And you can't yeah. actually hold two cognitive frames at the same time because literally each of those frames occupies a different part of your brain. Mm. So, so therefore, you cannot hold on to two thoughts at the same time. You can't you know, focus on your breathing and all of that layered complexity that I just described and also think about the person that's pissing you off or the event that's happened and how, how traumatized you feel. So for me, it's about multi-layered complexity that, for, that focuses attention away from the source of the distress plus the physiological intervention of that, of that slow breathing. Oh. What do you say to that? Well, I really like that, Fergal. I because I, oh, I usually just you know hear and, and learn in terms of pace breathing or the box breathing, like you talked about, yeah. um, but not so much the multi-layered how it really does help one because cognitively, like you said, you can't focus on two things at the same time or two images or thoughts or what you're upset about, and so. I feel like it's it's skill upon skill to really help someone in that crisis mode. So yeah. that's beautiful. I like that. I haven't heard it framed that way before. But yeah. it is quite hard to do. And I suppose a lot of people, I've had some feedback, not, not a lot because I don't actually do a lot, but uh, I've had some feedback that it's too hard to do in the, in the heat of the moment. But I, I, I always say, look, these are techniques that you have to work on and, and, and hone and, and develop as a skill so that when the crisis happens, then you're ready to use it. You can't start learning how to do this when you are in crisis. You've got to have the, the, the time to learn how to do it first. Exactly. Like I, I tell my uh, clients, it's almost like, you know, where they have uh, fire drills. Why do they have yeah. them? Because yeah. when there actually is a fire, you're ready. You know what to do. But if there are no fire drills, and then when there's the actual crisis, you know, our feelings are running high, emotion, and we're not thinking straight. But if you've been practicing, then you know what to do. And the same with these skills. It's like it's like me or, you know, a musician. You got to practice your instrument before you could play. You got to practice, yeah. practice, practice. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice. practice, practice, practice. So it's the same with these skills. And that's why I'm so big on the homework. And DBT itself is big on homework, you know, yeah. because if you don't have them as second nature, when you're in that crisis, it's 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 unfortunately going to be more easier to what's like you're used to, what's at the tip of your tongue or your default usually. Because yeah. Practicing these skills, I talk, I explain it as you're building a new neural pathway in your brain. You're building a new freeway. So by practicing, you're making a new groove there. Instead of going to 580, where you usually drive down and are all out of control, let's get a new freeway, a neural pathway going. Yeah. And then these will be more at your disposal. But, you know, if you're just learning while we're in session – and that's it, then you're not really, like you said, you need to have these skills honed. You really yeah. need to have them down. Yeah. Yeah. So, Laura, what's the final P then in the tip mnemonic? The final P for goal is progressive muscle um, relaxation. Right. And so how we teach that, um, so there's different apps that, help a client go through what's either called a body scan or progressive muscle relaxation. 
I find that that is the easiest way for a client to do it. Uh, like you said earlier in the previous um, skill, you know, you need to have practiced it a lot. And so when someone's in a crisis, it's going to be hard for them to talk themselves through a progressive muscle relaxation. But if they could just get their Calm app or some other app and do the body scan of progressive muscle relaxation, and actually it helps for them, helps for people to close their eyes and really focus within. Because part of the problem when we're in a crisis, we're focusing on you, on the other person. Mm. Mm. That MF or whatever the, the situation, or if you didn't do this, or if they didn't do that, or if they'd quit doing this or that. And when we focus within, that helps calm right away and sets a better stage for that progressive muscle relaxation. Yeah, that's that's almost verging on to the concept of mindfulness, isn't it? Uh, but mm -hmm. I, I suppose, uh, you know, you're again, you know, I suppose this is the difference between you and I. I mean, you're you're obviously a, an, uh, an excellent psychologist, but I, I, I'm not a psychologist. I'm a behavioralist. I believe in behavioral techniques. And so, you know, I, I can understand and I have actually advised people about body scanning in the context of progressive muscle relaxation. But for me, it's actually more more than just doing the body scan. It's actually about going through you know, every big muscle group and understanding which is the agonist and which is the antagonist set in that, in that pairing and then tensing, deliberately tensing each, each muscle group to the point of, of almost exhaustion over a number of seconds and then going on to the next big muscle group and gradually, so it's not actually doing a, a mental body scan, it's actually a physical right. progression of tensing and then trying to relax, tensing and then relaxing. Yes, uh, um, I, I don't, I don't, um, I guess I didn't totally make that clear. Body scan is just one part, but yeah, like, you know, do tensing your shoulders and then like going through each muscle group. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Thank you for bringing up that other side yeah. of it. Yeah. I actually, um, this reminds me, I talk about progressive muscle relaxation. It reminds me of um, this, this guy that I, this actor that I looked after once. And he had terrible problems dealing with the anxiety of auditions. Mm. And, um, you know, I taught him progressive muscle relaxation. He would basically, you know, lift weights before he went to the audition. Then he'd sit in the chair before the audition and sit there and, you know, tense his buttocks as hard as he could and then relax and then tense his chest as hard as he could and then he relaxed. And he got, he, it actually, you know, he started getting more success as an actor because he was able to ex literally exhaust his body before the actual uh, audition, he was then in a relaxed state where he was able to then improve his performance. So, I mean, you know, relaxation is not just about, you know, this passive lying on the couch, you know, eating beer, eating pizza, drinking beer. It's a very active process that in the right circumstances can be used to optimize performance. And in this context, of course, in the context of DBT, is a very effective way of actually minimizing distress. Yes, that's a good point. I think sometimes uh, it's a misnomer that people think of relaxation as, like you said, just sitting on the couch and eating bonbons instead of it's a very active experience, very purposeful, you yeah. know, lifting weights or your client going through this intense muscle relaxation before an audition. 
uh, I think that's a, a great suggestion. And um, look, look how much it's already helped him. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, a good point. Yeah. A really good point. So, Laura, we've we've gone through the tip mnemonic, but are there any other crisis survival skills? Yes, there's accepting, accepting the moment. Um, there's also doing a pros and cons list and self-soothing. So those are three other um, crisis distress tolerance skills. They're not as um, uh, physiologically intense and therefore don't have as much of an impact or effect, but they are helpful. Um, So like for an example, self-soothing. Dr. Linehan talks about going, having a client go all through all five senses. All right. What are you seeing right now? Uh, you know? yes. Okay. I'm like, because a lot of times when someone's angry, we just quote, see red, literally. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. a reason, you know, that that's in the prop culture, yeah. but have them look at something that's pleasant. You know, yeah. like I have outside my window, my office, home office, I have a tree and sometimes the squirrels love to play in that tree and I'll be doing a session. All of a sudden the clients start laughing and they see what they're looking at the squirrels playing in the tree. And so just, they're using their vision. They're, you know, use your hearing, listen to soft sounds, smell, you know, smell something Mm -hmm. that's pleasant. I usually try to have pleasant aroma or actually I have flowers in my fresh flowers every week. I have my office taste. Well, I don't offer anything to eat, so they'll have to bring their own, but Mm. I have little fuzzy things they could touch or even a nice blanket, Mm. um, a weighted blanket that helps them feel secure. So these soothing um, skills help a client to work through their distress tolerance, their, their crisis industry um skill so yeah i i call that the sensory awareness rule of five so uh so cool um you should have the dvd according to fergal i I really like we we can work on that together i reckon but you know i i describe it as you know you need to actually Again, you it's all about cognitive framing. You cannot focus on your misery or distress if you're actually shifting your attention elsewhere. Yes. And so what five yeah. things do you see? Tell me five things that you see. Tell me right. four things that you hear. Tell me three things that you feel. Tell me two things that you smell. Tell me one thing that you taste. And actually going through that, that five, four, three, two, one, and 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 actually focusing on those sensations again. It takes some time, probably right. more than ninety seconds, and we're going back to this ninety-second rule. And by that right. time, the, the the distress has passed. Now that I mean, a lot of people will say, "Oh, that's that's wishy-washy, new age bullshit," but it's been proven to help people yeah. who have gone through the most awful trauma. It's been proven to help war veterans to actually cope with their um, their fear and their re-experiencing phenomena. It's it's exactly. a really valid tool. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I really like that instead of 
you know, three, three, and three, and three, or five, five. Oh, I like that. I really yeah. like that. Thank but you. it's the same principle, you know. What I think oh, what, yeah, what, we're, we're coming from different positions to the same core mm -hmm. idea of cognitive shifting or the shifting of the yeah. cognitive frame, rather. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And like you said, you can't concentrate on two things at the same time, no, or focus no. on two things at the same time. Although yeah. people with ADHD would argue otherwise, but uh, well, you know, I read somewhere that it's actually a joke. it's just a joke. Well, no, I mean, on, on that serious note, I mean, I, oh. I mean, first of all, we've got to introduce the concept of attentional blinking, and secondly, we we've got to introduce the concept of what what types of, of, of attention are there? So for me, attention can be is, is, is a function of four things. Firstly, it's arousal. So being able to stay awake, right? Mm -hmm. But then moving away from being able to stay awake, we have vigilance, we have divided attention, we have selective attention. So vigilance is being able to focus on something for a prolonged period of time. Then divided attention is, um, you know, trying to do two things at once. And people say they can do that, but it's actually very hard to do that. And my understanding is that only really 5% uh, of the population truly can think of two things at the same time. Everyone else has to rapidly switch from one task to the other. And that's where we have attentional blinking, because every time you move from one task to another, you have to regain, you lose focus on one, you lose the train of thought from one issue, you then have to regain focus to the other issue. And that time that it takes is actually a measurable piece of time. And that's the attentional blink, that you're actually being non-productive. So we've got that, so that's divided attention. And then finally, we've got selective attention, which is the cocktail party syndrome, where you're in a party, you're in a cocktail party, all of a sudden, you hear someone saying your name. And all of a sudden, your mind completely ignores everything else and then goes straight to whoever said your name, especially if you're, you know, in my case, I'm, I'm a heterosexual uh, man. So in my case, if I find a woman attractive and she says, says my name, therefore poof, my attention straight onto her. So for, for me, those are, the, those are the types of attention. Mm -hmm. So Okay. No, that's well said. Yeah. And I try to bring research in to work with ADHD clients like, you know, research shows you you don't really focus on two things at the same time. And I, I bring up yeah. a similar argument there, but uh, yeah. I hear you. Um, one of the last uh, crisis survival skills for distress tolerance or underneath the umbrella of distress tolerance is called improve the moment. Right. So Tell me about that. That's, uh, so that's an acronym that stands for imagery, meaning prayer, relaxation, one thing, vacation, and encouragement. So right. that's a fabulous uh, mnemonic. Yeah, right. So yeah. Um, imagery, okay, what can you imagine? Or where can you shift your focus? Or maybe go for a hike, or go for a walk? Um, meaning, what can you bring meaning to what's happening right now? Sometimes clients really struggle with that one. So I don't bring that one up because usually they feel at that point when they're really in crisis, there is no meaning. So I don't usually, I don't focus on that one too much. Right. Prayer. A lot of people have some sort of spiritual practice. It doesn't have to be organized religion. It could be mindfulness. It could be meditation. 
It could be, you know, being kind to someone, you know, uh, or thinking nice thoughts for somebody else. So all that is under the big umbrella of prayer. And then relaxation. Now, this could be sitting around eating bonbons. This could be um, <laughs> the, the, the lazy woman or man's way of relaxing. But I also liked your statement earlier, like purposeful relaxation has more of an effect. Um, and so I think that actually, I, I would recommend that more than just the regular relaxing because there's a more positive consequence. And then the one thing is, you know, like in the program, they have a saying one day at a time or one thing at a time or one minute at a time. And a lot of times when someone's in crisis, they're like all over the place, right? Oh, no, I, I'm yeah. mad at this, but I got to go, you know, wow, they're just like, you know, a helicopter. Uh -huh. So you want to really, let's do one thing. All right, right now, what are you doing? Okay, I'm listening to you. Good. I want you to listen to me right now. Okay, what's the next one thing? What's the next right thing? That's another program saying you're going to do. Okay, I'm going to go outside and take my dog for a walk. Good. What's the next one thing? So try to um, walk a client through maybe three or four thing, one things hmm. instead of I'm going to finish my report. I'm going to talk to my boss. I'm going to check my email. I'm going to go see if someone <laughs> called. And because that's what happens, right? We're all over the place. Uh, well, when someone's in a crisis. Yeah. Um, and then the next um, is vacation. The V stands for vacation. Or um, I think in Australia and Europe, they call it holiday. Um, yeah. So now that's necessarily, I mean, to take a vacation in the moment, or, you know, like, okay, I'll book my tickets, I'll leave. It's not necessarily that easy. Um, so I talk about a mini vacation. All right, how about take a hot bath? How about, I don't know, can you go get a massage? Um, yeah. Go take a yoga class, some kind of really mini vacation. Yeah. But it doesn't hurt to plan a big vacation either. Um, but that necessarily is for the other type of distress tolerance skills, not the crisis. Hmm. And then the E stands for encouragement. So either, and actually, oh shoot, actually giving someone encouragement is really helpful, you know? So helping someone else actually helps us more than the other person for most of the time. Um, like for example, I live near a basketball court and when I'm walking by and then usually I'm walking with friends or have my dog or something. And whether it's adults or kids, if they make a basket, I say, wow, great job, or Steph Curry with the shot, or mm -hmm. just something. And they just beam. And it makes mm -hmm. me so happy that I made their day. So I tell, you know, suggest to clients, give a compliment to someone, encourage someone. And seeing them happy is going to make you happy or happier. Yeah. 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 Well, Laura... Sadly, we've run out of time once again. Uh, we're going to have to wrap it up there, but I want to thank you for your expertise and I really look forward to chatting with you again very soon. Thank you. Yes, I do too, Fergal. Thank you for having me. That's all for today, folks. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and this has been Cracking Addiction. Mm -hmm.